0: Hi everyone, you're here with the second season of Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here with my co-host, Lyson Casey. Hello everyone. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Neil Luca. He is the Managing Director of CurrentWare and also the founder and board member of One Local. So thank you so much for joining us today, Neil.
1: No problem. Awesome. Glad to be so here.
0: First, tell us about um, the company that you're the Managing Director of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So CurrentWare is a uh, software company that sells B2B solutions for employee productivity, data loss prevention, and compliance solutions. Uh, The business has been around for about 18 years and has been uh, focusing on a a wide variety of customers in the space, uh, selling for everything to education, to government, healthcare, manufacturing, financial institutions, etc. Typical B2B software company, but a couple differences are It's a perpetual uh, pricing model versus a SaaS model, which is obviously not as common today. And it's also an on-premise software. So it's not actually in the cloud at the moment. And we'll be planning to kind of iterate on both parts of those business models uh, next year. So at the moment, it's uh, a bit of an older uh, business model, but uh, continuing to grow that company. uh, That's very cool.
0: And how did your role of founding One Local turn into you becoming the managing director of CurrentWare?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So from a background perspective, I uh, was uh, an investment banker uh, after university and uh, had a lot of experience from uh, the M&A side of things, along with actually participating in some investments on the uh, investment banking side. So not as common of a uh, setup, but uh, the bank I was working for had a principal investing arm where we actually invested alongside and into companies that we saw possibilities to go public or a significant growth opportunities. From that experience and kind of getting in the weeds and and operating uh, alongside a lot of these businesses, I I felt like I I really wanted to uh, explore the world of entrepreneurship and had the opportunity to co-found One Local in 2013 uh, with a few business partners uh, of of mine. Um, Original thesis of One Local was democratizing mobile and helping businesses uh, kind of reach their customers in different ways that they hadn't previously Uh, primarily targeted at mobile when we started. Uh, And I think it's quite interesting now to see how things have adapted with COVID and the types of investments in technologies and the way that small businesses are thinking about their customers and really owning that customer relationship and how much it's evolved in even the last five years. Um, So when we started the company, the focus was mobile applications, everything from ordering systems to loyalty to chat. And... um, You know we we went at that business model for a few years and ended up pivoting away from that from a mobile perspective and and doing everything on web and sms based so the company one local at the moment is is primarily focused on the same target market but less of a focus on the actual uh, customer uh, ordering side of things uh, versus when we uh, originally started Um, and when we made that pivot uh, saw significant growth Uh, we went to y combinator in 2017 and participated in that program and raised some investment after that. And the uh, company is, you know, continuing to grow today here in Toronto. Um, after, you know, about six years there, had the opportunity to, to take a look and, and step back and had a, a chance to join CurrentWare. And I uh, decided to uh, move on and uh, uh, participate really in that exciting. side of
2: things. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, I love how you're talking about the the evolution of kind of mobile and and uh, desktop and, and and everything like that. And I really see web apps being kind of like the next step because it's accessible both on mobiles and on web. And you can be like shareable experiences, but also something that works on on, on any platform. Where do you kind of see the future of, uh, of the industry? Is it because mobile is definitely going to be there, but is it going to be more of like uh, the web is where it's going to be all? Everything's going to be at?
1: Yeah, it, it's a great point. I think uh, the, the the guides that we always had on it was One Local is a small, uh, medium business marketing platform. Uh, and what we uh, had a thesis around was the average business um, is using apps like, let's just say Uber Eats if you're a restaurant, or there was a dry cleaning competitor, a home cleaning competitor. There was obviously Uber itself from a taxi competitor side of things. And when you look at the way that the relationship has evolved with the uh, customer base, if you look at what's happened with COVID, a lot of restaurants are, are pushing back at the moment and saying, "Hey, you know, we're giving up 30% of our revenue um, when these customers are, you know, know our brand. They're using Uber Eats for the delivery and the convenience, but we're the ones doing the cooking. We're the ones with the brand. We're the one with the retail space that, uh, you know, has significant expenses here." Um so that was a thesis that we actually tried to explore in 2013 and I think a lot of entrepreneurship does come down to timing where I feel like if that was the focus of of the um company today it the product may actually do really well from that mobile side of things because it was a low transaction fee model but it was one with a subscription fee built in but back in 2013 or 2014 a lot of these uh, businesses were saying that, hey, we're not comfortable paying a transaction fee because we're not sure if our customers are going to use mobile. We're not sure if they're going to transact through this. So when you look at the evolution of the mindset of that small or medium business and and owning that customer relationship, they definitely want to do that more today than they did even 18 months ago. And then the second part of it is, okay, so what is the form factor to, to own that relationship? Is it an app? Is it through email marketing, which has been around for a number of years? Is it through a Shopify store? Is it through a web app? Obviously, the average business has Google reviews and Facebook pages and all of these different ways to interact with their consumers. So from the element of you know what happens with web versus mobile, I definitely think you're right. A simpler solution that will work on both uh, you know, a web app perspective but can be translated over to mobile with minimal overhead will likely be the solution or the winner. And now it's figuring out how to make those businesses comfortable with using a platform where they know that the customer's uh, data and the way that they are uh, interacting with their customers is theirs. And, and that's what we've, we focused on at One Local is giving them the ability to interact and communicate with their customers, whether it's through text messaging, whether it's through other kind of innovative elements that the team has launched since the start of COVID, um, but also letting them understand that it's in their power to, to communicate and interact with these businesses but the data is theirs and they control Great that. One.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. And you were talking about timing. And uh, some studies show that the timing of your start- startup is actually the most important thing. But it feels like it's out of our control. How do you make sure that, uh, that you can kind of control the timing of your startup? Or is there just no way?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know one of the things that, that I've noticed is when you're starting a new product, a new business... You're essentially making a number of um, hypotheses that are based on small data sets, and I think until you know you start or found a company, it's very difficult to understand that side of things. You know, if you're if you're working uh, at a very large organization that's been around for let's just say twenty years, and you've got thousands of customers, well, you've got a, a number of data points, whether it's related to pricing, whether it's related to industry dynamics, whether it's related to renewal rates or, um, you know, industries or uh, buyer personas, etc. When you're starting, it, uh, you know, could be just a few market signals. It could be three or four customers say similar things and you distill that down into what you believe to be a solution or a product that, that could lead to solving that. And then you kind of make a bet on that and you you iterate and you move. And if you believe that there's some traction or success there, then you can you know, double down or put, put more of a bet on that side of things. So I think that one of the keys is, is really you know, understanding that you're going to have to take risks based on small subsets of data, but being able to iterate quickly and try to distill down that data and obviously not be too um, focus that, you know, one hypothesis must be right, for example, because part of, uh, you know, an MVP type methodology or being iterative when you start a company is, you know, learning from your mistakes, trying different things and, and then improving upon yeah, that.
0: Definitely. And can you talk a bit about why Combinator and how, um, you got into that and what the process was like in terms of how it benefited your company?
1: yeah absolutely so uh you know back in 2017 uh, I think it was it was normal to to do in person uh sessions and you're meeting other founders and obviously meeting the YC partners and and different individuals so uh, it was a great experience i think you know some of what I just mentioned before was was part of that uh, methodology of you know understanding what the customer is looking for iterating on your product uh really trying to to move quickly to uh, distill down what the actual customer is looking for. And I think, you know, the, those core lessons that, that obviously are uh, taught quite often now uh, in different elements of whether it's accelerators or incubators related to, um, you know, really listening to your customer, uh, speaking to them is the most important part. Um, I think Reed Hoffman says, if you're not, you know, embarrassed of your first product, you ship too late. Uh, those types of methodologies were definitely ones that um, have been ingrained in, in myself and, and other individuals have been through it. And I think it, it gave a great opportunity to understand the different ways that you can scale. And, and there's a lot of smart uh, individuals who have gone through it or, or other founders who we met through it that, you know, would challenge us and we'd challenge them on, on ways to scale and, and ways to uh, grow ideas and grow uh, a business.
0: Interesting. And can you tell me then a bit about getting your first investment after completing that program?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think part of why Combinator is is the demo day and getting uh, involved in uh, you know presentations and meeting different investors and and the uh, idea that you know you speak to a number of different people who either have different opinions on on the industry you're looking at on the type of software you're building uh, you know the geography that you're targeting the industries that you're targeting et cetera. Uh, so we did a, a more of a party round, a mix of investors uh, that were um, participating in uh, the post YC investment. And then we did a traditional kind of A round uh, last year in, in 2019. So, um, you know, as, as part of that, uh, the company is, is still headquartered in Toronto, um, you know, didn't relocate or, or move um, to the Valley. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been going uh, great in, in Toronto with the uh, talent that's available here.
2: Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, so now for for anyone listening that has a company that's like a very fresh product and they're about to go through their rapid iteration cycle and they're out there hearing uh, their customers talk about their product, how do they go about building the next feature sets, deciding what to work on next, deciding what to drop and actually interpreting the user's input? What's the best strategy to, to decide what to listen to?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's one of the toughest uh, parts is distilling down your let's just say three-year plan versus your one-year plan versus your three-month plan and figuring out the uh, elements of what you're looking for and what your goal as a company is 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 really what's going to factor into that and i think a lot of that strategization is extremely important at that early stage Um, a couple examples i can give is is your goal to be a company that is generating revenue in six months or is your goal to be a company that, for example, is is growing the user base and, and the desire is to um, build off of that story? Uh, you know is is the company going for investment and, and what is what are typical investors looking for versus uh, you know more of a bootstrapped approach and, and building from the cash flow that's generated from the product so i think the larger strategic questions have to be uh, uh, kind of inputted in that uh, discussion um, i think too much uh, focus sometimes is put on just the product side of things and then you know nine months down the road or 12 months down the road if, if those other elements weren't factored in uh, you could end up you know, having built the wrong, uh, aspects. And then once you've kind of matched those together, it comes into the, uh, idea and the framework of, you know, what part of the industry or market or problem for the customer are you really solving? So if you're looking at, uh, let's just say you're, you're targeting retail versus, um, real estate, um, when a lot of companies start, they say that they're going to pro- solve problems for each and every one of um, uh, customers that are a certain size or in a certain geography. But figuring out exactly who the personas are that are using your product, whether they're the champions, whether they are um, you know, currently paying or currently using the product and giving feedback, really doubling down on those original champions and figuring out what the pain points that you're solving for them uh, should lead to that uh, ideal product choice. Now, it's obviously going to come down to is that market big enough? So, you know, if if you're targeting ten different markets and you're getting feedback from ten different types of customers, you may want to bet on two or three of those, and say, you know, the, this feature set is meant to target, you know, this type of persona in this type of industry. And understanding the the idea that there are trade offs is just as important as to understanding what you're going to build. So. I think early stage, especially in the technology side of things, it's it's almost like the world is your oyster. You can you can build one of fifty different things, and understanding what to say no to is just as important as as to what you're going to build. And, and one last point I'd add to that is there is a you know a, a difficult concept where certain let's call it you know customers with louder voices tend to uh, say, hey, just build this for me. I'll even give you uh, an upfront fee or I'll pay you a development fee, and and that's a Very large question for founders to decide what type of product they want to build. Are you building a SaaS product? Are you turning more into a consulting arm? Um, I think the concept of a Frankenstein product is well known where you end up listening to every customer portion of feedback. And next thing you know, you've got this Frankenstein product with a bunch of bolted on pieces. So that one year and three year plan and strategy of of how things um, are going to look needs to factor into the decisions you make uh, at each marginal. Yeah,
0: that's really great advice for startups in their early stages. It's super easy to want to listen to all your customers and it feels intuitive even to listen to all of them. But you definitely have to make some tough choices around the type of features you're going to add to your product. Um, so could you tell us a bit about um, when you step back from uh, your founding role at the company and how that kind of felt switching into a new role and how do people know when it's the right time to make that type of change?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, both our uh, software businesses, uh, both are B2B in nature, nature and both are uh, um, small and medium business in nature. Um, from the, the current where perspective, Um, You know, it's focused more on employee productivity, like data loss prevention and compliance, like I've mentioned. So, you know, elements of, you know, how the privacy landscape is changing. You've got things like GDPR and the California Privacy Act that are really uh, defining and changing the way that businesses think about data and are required to uh regulatorily um control and manage uh, the data and, and that side of things in addition employee productivity and data loss prevention obviously we all know that you know data breaches are a, a very large concern um for any type of business so i think it was just a shift in mindset of of a, an interest that i had and um you know from the from the nature of of a change Going from B two B SMB software to another B two B SMB software, I wouldn't say it was it was a, a massive difference. I think, uh, like I mentioned at the top, with with currentware currently being a uh, perpetually licensed product and an on premise product, it is a bit different than let's call it a, a traditional um, you know SaaS tech company that most um, most. Uh, you know, founders are building today. Um, you know, some of the, the main highlights that I, I make that are different are, for example, we don't have any uh, feedback on the way that our product is being used because everything is on premise. So the nature of the, the businesses and governments and individuals that we work with, um, you know, some of the you know, large um, secretaries of state and those types of organizations use our product. So there is no feedback on you know, how the solution is being used, the data being generated, etc very, very different than a traditional SaaS product that's being built today with you know products like MixPanel or Hotjar or those types of things built in that allow you to really mine the data of exactly what's going on with every user. So that's an interesting challenge to try to tackle and understand how and and what types of data you can distill down when you when you're not actually getting that feedback loop of it being a cloud-based product. And then the other thing I'd mention is it's it's not a traditional, you know, monthly recurring revenue or, or ARR type uh, solution, it's a perpetual license with uh, optional support and maintenance. So, uh, you know, there is a there's an ongoing component there, but it is optional for the user. And that's just a different style
2: of, of uh, selling and, and generating revenue. Very for cool. a business. That's, yeah, awesome. that's really interesting. So uh, for my final question, can you tell me something about yourself that's not on your LinkedIn page?
1: That is not on my LinkedIn page. Um, that one is interesting. So I will go with, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, sure. Uh, so I think you know one interesting thing uh, that that's obviously come out of uh, COVID is uh, the idea that making new connections or having, let's call it. Uh, you know, deep intellectual conversations is is quite difficult with new groups of people. Um, you know, you're no longer going to that client dinner where maybe there's a, an individual or two that you've never met before, and you kind of have a chat over over dinner, over over a drink, and, and learn from different individuals. Um, so, uh, a friend of mine and myself have started uh, this COVID chat series, just a small um, way to interact with four or five different people. Um, every couple of weeks and, and it's, it's new individuals who you know, we maybe haven't met before and, and have the ability to kind of brainstorm debate um, and, and learn more about each other and learn people's different perspective on what we're going through at the moment and what the future looks like post COVID. So informal by nature, but uh, one where we, we try to focus around a few different topics. Um, and we found it uh, quite interesting to to be able to obviously connect with different individuals over Zoom and Hangouts, and and still have those types of conversations and meet others while
2: uh, obviously uh, social. Yeah, resistance. that's really fun. That's really cool. Yeah, I feel like the the podcast has helped us with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. We had a great time um, learning more about the company you ran and what you're up to now. And so, yeah, thank you so much.
2: Sounds good.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Floater Founder every week. We look forward to bringing you more content from more amazing people in our city.
2: Until next time.